Historical diversions. History over drinks. This is part two of my interview with National Guard veteran Jonathan Fury. For a little more context to our discussion, please check out part one. If you've already heard it or don't like some random voice telling you what to do, feel free to listen on. Without further ado, here's Jonathan Fury, part two. Now, uh, especially since you brought in like other units and we talked briefly kind of about like almost like the inner service rivalry sort of mm. thing. Um, you know, this was an Air Force base, but was, but was this something where like uh, you frequently interacted like with either like, you know, actual like active duty Air Force personnel? Was mm -hmm. this like Marine Corps? Was this all, you know, all pretty you much interacted, any and all? You interacted at one point in time with anybody. I saw drill. I saw drill sergeants that I hadn't seen since AIT. And when I went over there, they were deployed with me. They were doing their own thing, but they were deployed with me. Like, because I remember there was one, the joke was that we looked alike, which we did. Mm. Like, he looked like an older version of me. And this was kind of funny, but he... Um, was it just because you were black or... <laughs> he was Hispanic, so that's even better. Oh, God, that's even now, those, funnier. It's even funny because people think I'm Hispanic. You know, it's like, because I look Hispanic. I'm, I'm black and Italian. But no, he... Um, I remember we would crack jokes about it. Even like the drill sergeant himself, and this was kind of a rule of breaking the rule of the drill sergeant. He, uh, the last day, my last day of AIT, my buddy decides to try to get me in some hot water and goes, Hey, drill sergeant, another drill sergeant said that you looked like at the time I was private, private Guarino. I'm like, you motherfucker <laughs> thinking, all right, I better start doing some push ups or whatever. Cause he's going to fuck with me. And he looks me up and down and goes, Actually, you kind of do look like Miguelino. You're not an ugly guy. <laughs> that was it. Well, fast forward four or five years later, I'm in a friggin' defect in dining facility in Balad, and this drill sergeant, now a first sergeant, walks up right behind me. And I'm like, what's up, first sergeant? And he goes, what's up? Like, like nothing happened. Like, what you doing here? I'm like, man, I'm here deployed. What about you? I'm here as a crew chief. <laughs> I'm deployed too. I'll see you out there. Yeah, no doubt. No doubt. Now, how does that, now, is this something that, um, now, especially like, okay, you're army national guard, mm. uh, you know, you just mentioned like at one point, you know, you are a private now, are you pretty much beholden to like anyone else of any rank of any service? Or is it pretty much like, nope, I follow orders from like my chain of command or how does that? So does I that have to show, so I have to show respect to rank. Is that like a salute or is that just salute like if they're a, an officer? If they're not an officer, I don't salute, but okay. you know, you do have to address them. Hello. If you're a private, hello, sergeant, hello, first sergeant, hello, sergeant major. You know, if you're, Technically, you're not supposed to salute when you're on posts or on, on military bases when you're in theater. But if you're on a regular garrison base, if you see some, if you see an officer, that's a lieutenant all the way up to a general. You know, when you get X amount of steps, you throw up the salute. You say, good morning, sir. Good morning, ma'am. Good whatever, ma'am. 
they in turn they're they're technically supposed to salute back and go good morning so and so because it's it's show reciprocating that respect that's given okay because that's where it comes from um a lot of posts are not as strict about that a lot of people are not as strict about that because when you get because when you get to let's say and that's outdoors when you're indoors you don't salute okay you don't salute unless you're in formation um Otherwise, you're generally just. Uh, it all depends because some some follow some military units will follow um, customs and courtesies to a T. Others are a little bit more laxed. So I can tell you later on in my career, it'd be funny because you would have young kids come to the military and they'd be following them too strictly. We had one who he was in, he was actually at my wedding when he first started hanging out with me. He would come to my house and call me by like, "Hey, so I go, dude, do not call me by my rank." Here, here, I'm off duty. It, call me by my first name or my last name. I don't give a shit. Mm-hmm. Call me asshole. I don't give a fuck. <laughs> Fucking. But when we're when we're there, it's cool. When we're here, I, I'm I'm dissociating. So you know, I I take once I take the uniform off, I take the uniform off. The brain goes elsewhere. Mm-hmm. So now, is that something that uh, you pretty much don't know you've gone too far until you've gone too far, or is that something where you kind of get like the uh, you kind of get a little bit of a briefing that it's like, hey, we. You know, we're not uh, we're not super strict. We're not super strict here about that sort of thing. It all depends on the culture of that unit and what the command dictates. Okay. So um, aviation, aviation, it's always a bit more lax, especially because a lot of those people work with each other every day. So um, in a shop, you have you could have a private working with an AMSAR major, but they're in the same shop. So it's like, hey Joe, hey Mike, how you doing? You know, hey hey Bob, hey Tom. You know, because that's going to facilitate that positive work environment. But once drill weekend rolls around, now we're wearing the hats, so to speak. Okay. Now, hey, sorry, major, hey, hey special so and so, hey, uh, private so and so, hey, sergeant so and so. You know, hey, sir. You know, you have to kind of flip that switch on. So the switch is always there. If you if you're in the military, the switch is always there. The switch is always there to go from all right. You know, I might have a personal relationship with this person, but we got to be formal. Or, hey, you know, we're in a different environment where it's a little more chill. No one's eyes aren't on us. We're just doing our thing. Now the switch is off. Okay. Yeah. Now, and and this is probably going into a little bit of a different direction. And none of this is meant to be, none of it is meant to be gratuitous. But it's also a deal when we talked about kind of threats earlier. Mm. You mentioned uh, being mortared uh, or... The base, I should say, rather being mortared mm. um, in terms of kind of your closest calls or at the very least that it's like, you know, you had to be kind of aware of stuff. But were were there like specific times where you realized, shit, I'm yeah. I'm in real danger here. Yeah. When um, and I remember this like it was yesterday. Um, My roommate at the time who's um, still lives. I just saw him a couple years back. He's now a uh, he's been a he's a. CEO at a women, women's at the women's prison in Shakopee. Funny motherfucker too. <laughs> one of the fu- I, I want to have him on my podcast. He's one of the funniest human beings I've ever met. But he looks at me in the raspy voice and goes, "Greeno, let's put our bunks together so we have more room for bunk beds." That's how he talks. He's got a real raspy, funny voice, mm. and that's actually he's an intense dude too. Love the guy to death. But um, we put our bunks together about a week prior to this happening, and you know, sure enough, we have more room. We could do. Our stretches, if somebody wanted if we wanted to work out in our room, we could. Well, about an hour before one of my shifts, all we hear is a boom. We're like, what the fuck was that? That sounded close. Turned out that, and by the grace of God, this was a dud. Um, a dud, but a missile went through another room about 
20, 30 feet from mine. Um, the individuals in that room had just switched out their, and I'm using pronouns such as they, because I don't want to divulge identities at all, especially because it's like, I don't know what kind of trauma they're suffering. Mm-hmm. So um, they had just switched out their bunk with their locker. If they had kept it as is, it would have gone right through them and taken them out. Both. Oh my gosh. And if it had gone off, it would have taken a whole bunch of us out, probably me too. So right then and there was kind of when I realized, all right, we're, you know, it's like, it, I don't want to make too light of it, but I guess, you know, a coping mechanism is to joke about it. Kind of the gallows humor, so to speak. Yeah. The gallows humor where, um, <laughs> Ralph Wiggum goes, hey, I'm in danger. Yeah. <laughs> that, that was what that was. I was, I was Ralph Wiggum in that instance. Oh, geez. Like, well, I'm, uh, not in Kansas anymore. And, you know, I remember my roommate, we looked at each other and we're like, we need to take these beds apart because if we were both lying in there, it's going to take out both of us. Yeah. So, you know, yeah, I don't, I don't think it would have made a difference, but it just one of those things where it's like, well, fucking a, yeah, it was definitely a nice little, uh, reminder. Now, did you kind of feel that like on a regular basis? Like, was it one of those things where like you walk down the hallway and then it's like, oh yeah, that happened there or, oh geez. Or is it something that you almost kind of have to block out that it's like, if you think about that, then you're almost going to like still have a job to do. So you definitely had to do the job. You be prepared. You know, um, there were bunkers. I didn't think the bunkers did a damn bit of good, but there were bunkers, cement bunkers surrounding every area. Okay. So if an area got hit, you were going to technically, you were supposed to go to the bunkers. Like, Hey, in IDF, get your ass to the bunker. Half the time I slept through them. Cause it's like, if this fucking thing's coming anywhere near me. I doubt the bunker's going to save me. Yeah. So I went fuck to sleep. Cause it's like, Oh, it's my time. I'm going to go comfortable. But, um, you know, kind of macabre as that sounds. But, uh, yeah, it was definitely a nice little uh, reminder that, hey, we're not in Kansas anymore. Now, this is something that, uh, at least, like, in terms of, like, it's almost the the fear of just, like, the random attack. It's like you don't, you know, you're not going to be getting, you know, nuked out there. And it almost seemed like the the general rule was not necessarily like, oh, you've got, you know, you've got, you know, legions and legions of people bearing down on your position. It's more of the, you know, the constant state of danger. But then, you know, every once in a while, it's like, oh, it's more of like a rocket attack or more of like a, you know, more isolated incident. Is that is was that kind of the experience? The problem was we got rocket attacked all the damn time. It wasn't just like, hey, once in a while. It was literally an everyday thing, damn near. And if a, if a sandstorm or dust storm hit, they would take advantage of that and hit us even harder. Like, you know, and it was literally like, most of the time it didn't come near us, but the fact is it was out there. So it's always like, well, this could be it. Mm-hmm. We know we're under attack. We know that. We also know that our artillery's firing back at them. Like, they're getting coordinates as to where these assholes are and going, all right, buddy, you know, you play that game, we'll play that game. But, um,. That's definitely was like the constant thing of, oh shit, is this it? Is this it? A lot of, a lot of anxiety, a lot of walking on edge, walking on eggshells. That kind of seems to be like a general trend of like modern warfare is that mm. it's like, at least like in ancient warfare was like, you probably had like one or two really, really horrible days, you, but you met on a damn battlefield. 
Yeah. And then like at the end of the battle, it's like, okay, you pretty much had, you know, you had the two sides facing each other. Then there was a rout and then, you know, most of the other people died or got taken prisoner. And then it was relatively quick. Mm. It's, it almost seems like more modern warfare is that it's almost a constant state of anxiety and a constant state of like, Mm. we can, we're doing this for years. A lot of that warfare is fought with technology now because you're also having to in drones and airstrikes and drone strikes and you know, this was, I think, before drones really became a big thing. Yeah. But you definitely, you also have cyber warfare and there's, it, you could do a whole podcast on the evolution of how it's done, which I'm sure you're going to do here. Um, <laughs> but definitely was a lot of anxiety and that anxiety, a lot of people still carry. Oh, and how um, can you flip that switch when especially, you know. Because it's a state of mind. Yeah. When it's burned into your memory that it's mm-hmm. like, oh, yep, life can be taken at any time. Mm-hmm. Uh, how can you, you know, how do you adjust to, a, you know, the relatively cozy, you know, America where you te- you tend to not deal with that? Well, you're still not going to get rid of some of those, you know, hair triggers no. that you have burned in your memory. Well, even right? now, like what's funny is when I got back, um, like two days after I got back. I met up with a girl who I was talking to, and uh, you know, a friend of mine's listening. He's gonna be making fun of me about this forever because we. This was stupid. How stupid twenty-four-year-old me was. I, I swear, if I met twenty-four-year-old me, I'd slap him. Um, <laughs> talking to this girl online, never seen her in person. It very well could have been a dude. So my friend, my I have friends who still make fun of me about that one. Uh, to this day, they're like, "Hey, Mike." Like, yeah, fuck you too. But um, no. Uh, we were hanging out or whatever, and her cat popped a balloon. I literally hit the fucking deck, taking cover, because I thought something was going down. Like it took me about ten seconds to go, "Oh shit, okay, I'm 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 safe. I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. We're not we're not overseas." But that was a nice little eye opener of holy shit. Even now, I don't react as dramatically. But if you, if a loud boom goes off right behind me and I don't see it coming, and I have friends who are the same way who were there, their brain goes there because you can't help it because you lived it so your brain automatically goes to all right something's going down yeah you know, there's still a lot of um a lot of anxieties that are dealt with now it's better dealt with now is, you know now i do you know i didn't address it for years until recently like you know i see a therapist now i ha- i take meds i address my problems i take my time you know i have that understanding of okay you know this is what needs to happen to get me somewhat in a good state of mind but um, it took years. It took years. Now, and speaking of like coming back, how happy were you when your deployment was up or at the very least that it's like, all right, we're actually going back or I'm, I'm actually able to come back? How did that kind of process work? Was it the okay. same as like, so, you know, getting there or how so did that work? So you slowly start drawing down. You stop doing work. Days become a little more sluggish, but... You're still there. Um, once you're back in theater, you're doing the paperwork stuff. You're doing the in processing, the medical, all that. Once you get home, it's surreal because it's a, it's a mind fuck. That's the only way to describe it. Like, and my big mistake was I went back to work almost immediately. Like two weeks after getting back, I went back to work, and that was stupid because um, you have legal time off that you are supposed to take. Mm-hmm. Like you're supposed to take it to acclimate. I didn't understand that at the time. And, you know, the people around me, my support system at the time, no fault of theirs. They didn't understand that. I had no one to say, dude, you need to slow down. I had no one to say, dude, it's okay to just take your time and acclimate. It was just like, 
because you know my family's a get your ass to work family mm-hmm. you know it's it's where i get a lot of my work ethic like get your ass to work so um the reality is i was still dealing with a lot of that anxiety and that mixed with that depression mixed with that up and down mixed with that uncertainty mixed with that isolation just the to- totality of it um so definitely rushed it rushed when i came back i was happy to be back obviously but because you know you're seeing your friends you're mm-hmm. seeing your family and a lot of my friends at that time we've talked about this off air didn't have my best interest in heart at all mm-hmm. they were just using me to freaking make themselves feel better which you know it was what it was i'm not here to throw anybody under a bus or name names but there are guys who would let me put it this way when my first day back hanging out with them they're just talking about how great they are mm-hmm. it's like bro Huh. Okay. Read the room a little bit, right? Uh huh. Okay. So you know, you're. I see how that is. Now you know me now. Me then I didn't get it. Me then I I don't think my self worth was so low. And it goes right back to that being I had pre existing self esteem issues prior to joining the military. The military only, in some ways they helped and in some ways they did not. Yeah. <laughs> so you know it was a fifty fifty call. Um. So definitely took a good. It takes. About six months to a year before you start feeling semi-normal. And even then, you still you still have the experience. You still have the random flies. Like You see a big cloud of dust. You're like, well, that brings me back to that. Yeah. You know, a little lighter side of it. You see a row of Porter John. Like when we when we went to that concert. And, um, oh, God, was oh that was the uh, Rob Zombie one. The when, I saw, Iowa, yeah. when I saw the line of Porter Potties <laughs> in a row in 100 degree heat. It took me back to Iraq immediately. <laughs> immediately, I'm like, fuck me. I remember those days. <laughs> I think you're just like, you don't mind using those? I go, no. Hey, I, I'm, married, yeah. I'm married to someone who would probably have just complained all day about you know, how bad she'd have to go, but then being like, well, there's a porta potty right there. It's not worth it. It's not worth it. <laughs> oh, my wife does that too. <laughs> my wife, I got to finally pee. Like, there's well, a... Not worth it. Bacteria, germs. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) If you piss on yourself, there's just as many bacteria and germs. Well, exactly. And poison, bud. Well, and so at least like the happiness that I got, and you know, coming from the selfish, uh, I was so happy when you came back because I had no idea. Yeah, I remember. I said I said this in the intro that I had no idea Mm. if I was ever going to see you again. And, and I didn't want to jinx it because it was like a, if a I, you know, and we actually, uh, I worked, uh, I worked a night job in, mm. um, at the, uh, medical, uh, medical examiner's office in Hennepin County. And we've had a, a few conversations because it was late days. night. Yeah. It was late night for me. Um, but good when, <laughs> when, uh, and it was actually something that was like, okay, I can hear his voice. All right. Things are good. He's alive. You know, and he's breathing air, everybody. Exactly. And, yeah, I mean, that, that, and that's one good thing is I was able to call people pretty frequently to check in and go, Hey, I'm okay. Hey, I'm okay. And some, some wanted to hear from me. Some pretended to, but didn't. Yeah. Not going to, again, not going to name names. Uh, my family was ha- obviously happy. Um, it's definitely a relief when you, you see your people like, you know, um, I'm still pretty close with her, but one of the people I was closest to at the time was my sister, Catherine, mm-hmm. my youngest sister. And, you know, I can't tell you how relieved she was, you know, to see me uh, alive and breathing because she was like eight or nine at the time. So she was very, very young and very much like just coming to that age where she's cognizant of this. This is a real situation. 
Yeah. Um, recently, shout out to her, by the way, college graduate, engineering degree. I was going to say smarter, smarter than both of us. That's for me- sure. Oh, no doubt. No <laughs> doubt. Mechanical engineering degree and uh, just started uh, grad school for it recently. Like I said, I was hell of a lot smarter than the both of us. Um, yeah. Now, Iowa. now in terms of, you know, in, in terms of the, uh, you know, the happiness that you felt uh, when um, you got back, uh, especially with it being a 20 year, uh, ended up being a 20 year, I mean, legitimate career. Um, when you were coming up to when you were going to be done, uh, or at least like the end of Maybe this isn't the right phrasing, but let's the put end it of the as first a, term. Yeah. Um, so how did that? So I come up now. Mind you, is one little detail I left out is they were stop lossing people at the time. Okay. Those of you who don't know what stop losses means, let's say you're coming up at the end of your term, you get you get told, yeah, you're staying in because the unit has this deployment, they have this mission. You're a trained body, you're staying. Well, I got stop lost in 2007, and the way it was done was funny. The warrant officer who kind of a kind of a curmudgeon dude, uh, very kind of gruff to the point, comes in the room, is talking to a couple of people and looks at everybody and goes, by the way, you're all stop lost and walks out. <laughs> so ha ha funny. <laughs> Holy shit. I could laugh about it now, now that I'm through it. But it's like, well, Jesus Christ, I don't want to know what the bedside manner is on that guy. Yeah. Um, so, um, we get done with our deployment and I, in my brain at the time, I'm thinking, get me the fuck out of here. Get me out of this life. I'm done. Well, a reality had set in and that reality is I didn't do shit. I haven't done shit with my life. Mm-hmm. I'm not doing shit with my life. I need something. I can't just do nothing. I need to get my ass back to school. Number one. But number two is I need, I have no career. I have nothing. I don't have I'm not in the line of work I want to be in yet. Um, at the time, I was still hadn't had any college experience or minimal college experience. So I stayed in. I just said, you know what? I'm going to stay in. I got The goal is get your ass to school, get your degree, get two degrees if you have to. Um, so I extended for another six. Uh, what worked out, what I had to work out to go back to school and finally faced kind of one some of my anxieties that I had about it and went back to school. Um, it was in that time frame, in that six years, and this is just a kind of a brief summarization. Um, going back to school was one of the smartest things I could have done because it was like, both for my self-esteem and for my career, because now it's like, all right, now you're getting the educational experience. Um, got my degree in law enforcement. Initially, I wanted to become a police officer. Um, I ended up going a different route than that. Thank God. <laughs> you know, I respect I respect the job. I respect the badge. And if you're doing your job as a police officer with honor and dignity, I respect the fuck out of you. But it was hindsight being 2020, not a life I'd want to live, mm-hmm. uh, especially living the military life for so long. Um, you know, advanced a bit in the military, uh, got more responsibilities and duties, um, had a had a child, you know, as you remember, mm-hmm. you know, kind of unexpectedly uh, became a father. And at the end of that tenure, I'd had 14 years in at that point of my last contract. It's like, well, shit, I better at least get a fucking pension. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't really want to, but, you know, all respect to it. So 
Got the remaining six out of the way. By the end of the six, by the end of the last six, at the end of the 20 now, fast forward, I'm married. I had had my second daughter. I finished uh, with both degree, both a associates in law enforcement and a bachelor's in criminal justice and had obtained the career that, that I wanted to obtain. You know, finally had the success I needed. So it was really like, you know, do I really need to stay in the military? I mean, there were pros and cons. You know, obviously the pay and the benefits are nice, but the pay I can possibly see better results elsewhere, you know, and as far as the benefits go, what what outweighs what? Um, chose to retire and, you know, no harm, no foul. Here we are. Um, it wound up being one of the... And, you know, this is not me crapping on the military itself or crapping on any military institution because there is some honor in that job. There is respect to be had in the uniform. But it wound up being one of the smartest decisions I've ever made because I saw career advancement. I saw a big promotion because I was able to focus fully on my job, not get pulled every time I'd pick up momentum in my job to leave for two, two three months because I'm on a train up or because I'm doing military stuff or because I'm deployed or whatever or because I'm activated due to uh, local local incidents such as the George Floyd riots. But um, it allowed me to do that. It allowed me to pursue my podcast, which is a passion of mine. And it's also allowed me to be home a lot more with my children, with my wife. Um, you know, being a military dad and a military spouse is not easy for either the military person or the spouse who's married to them. Mm-hmm. You know, I think military spouses don't get nearly enough credit. Um, so being able to kind of say, okay, you know, this part of my life's done was a relief. It was like, kind of like, I didn't realize the weight was off my shoulders till it was off my shoulders. I'm like, Mm -hmm. oh shit, I'm, I'm good. Like, I'm good to do this podcast and not have, uh, not have a commander yell at me and go, you talk too much information, even though I didn't drop any information. Mm -hmm. What information did I drop? I didn't say what unit I was in, what names I was in, what, what, you know, the duties that I dropped are duties that are public knowledge. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's probably nice just to, you know, just to not have to answer yeah. to any of the any of that anymore. And, you know, kind of as we wind down um, in in terms of, you know, your experience, um, knowing what you knew or knowing what you know now, mm. you time travel back to 2001, you see yourself. Would you tell yourself to still enlist? <laughs> Would you have gone through all this um, knowing what you know, you know now? I ask myself that all the time and I still don't have an answer. I think I would warn myself that it's not an easy life, that you're going to face more struggles than you could imagine. I would say at minimum consider if you're going to do military, other branches, like hear every other branch and what they have to say before you just listen to one recruiter. And the other big thing I would say is if you pick this route, Get your ass to school, learn a trade, learn, get a trade, get a degree under your belt, get something where you can take care of yourself because at the end of the day, that's all you have. And the other thing I would tell myself is, hey, dude, you're worth more than you can imagine. You're a smarter man than you can imagine. You're a better man than you can imagine. You're a more capable man than you can imagine. Just because you don't have the knowledge today doesn't mean that you won't someday. You know, I'm going to steal a line from, uh, from the DDP yoga and from Arthur Borman. Just because you can't do this today doesn't mean you're not going to be able to do it someday. Um, have the belief in yourself um, and really make a more make informed decisions about it. There's, uh, there's a lot of honor and respect in wearing that uniform. 
There are bonds that you will have with people till the day you're no longer on this earth. But at the same time, you're also going to have, you're also going to carry the negatives too with you. So you're going to carry the traumas. You're going to carry those negative interpersonal experiences as well as the positives. Um, so I'd say pros and cons to it. Um, at the same time, facing something difficult, facing obstacles makes you stronger. Like now, me now, a bad day at work is an easy day. Yeah. Like, fuck, now I'm, uh, you know, working for work, doing the job I do now where it's like, bro, the worst days are cake compared to the harder to the easier days I had overseas or, you know, doing those training assignments in Fort Hood or Fort Irwin or Fort Polk. You know, it's like, hey, I'm not getting uh, I'm not getting tear gassed, at random, <laughs> you know, at Fort Irwin. Funny part about that was there's a funny little side story is I remember. It's about three months before I got married. We're doing a like a eight week training thing in Fort Irwin, California, fucking middle of Death Valley, middle of the desert. Mm. And I had been up all night because I'd had I was the uh, NCO, non commissioned officer in charge, on an overnight like mission to listen to the radio, listen for attacks, keep make sure that my guard, my uh, watch post guards were safe, had water, had their shit, all that. Well, first sergeant gets in in the morning, goes and. Me and this first sergeant knew each other for years. We're, we're still still friendly to this day. Great guy. He goes, there's no one around. So, you know, he goes, all right, Mikey. I just called myself by my government, but all right, John. We'll, we'll, uh, we'll censor that out. Yeah, if you have to. You we'll have get, to, we'll get the monkeys on. All there. right. All right. All right. All right, Mr. Fury. <laughs> go, uh, go ahead and lie down. Get yourself some rest. Now, mind you, it's hot as shit that day. So I'm like, well, I'll probably wake up sweaty, but whatever. I can sleep in it. Go to lie down as soon as I lie down. It's a training environment, so they're shooting mock missiles and mock stuff at us. All you hear is, like, motherfucker. <laughs> and I hear my my buddy, it's my platoon sergeant at the time, we're both NCOs together. He goes, get up, we're under attack. I'm like, fuck. <laughs> and I, I, think I, I think he heard me because he started giggling. And then he, oh, I hear, gas, gas, gas. I'm like, these motherfuckers are gassing us now oh no so i'm in my tent so i'm not rushing to get my mask on and i'm like i've been tased before i've been maced and tased before to another training so when you've been maced tear gas ain't shit you know cs mm. gas ain't shit i'm like these motherfuckers are using real cs gas oh, i can feel that a little oh, i hear other people going oh. i'm like <laughs> putting on my mask fucking putting my shit on and and getting tear gassed as someone who went into a scene that had tear gas that had been sitting. Well, it was, and it was residual. (laughs) So, and I literally wanted to claw my eyes out. I was one of, I was one of the only people like we didn't have at that time, didn't have uh, any gas masks. We thought it had aired out. uh, The scene had aired out enough. And I'm in there. I, I'm not even wearing any glasses. I was the only person in there that didn't even have any protective eyewear at all. And I don't know if the protective eyewear is doing anything against, uh, Airborne, airborne pathogens, if you will. Well, and it and it's a deal where like I'm clawing my eyes out and being like, and my role in like my role on scene in that in that job was very easy. I felt like I was the most useless piece of garbage that it was like, but I mean, I'm washing and it's like, and that's tear gas. So his story, oh yeah, tear gas isn't anything. Oh yeah, here's this stuff. I, uh, you I can got, you can only got, imagine. I got mace during law enforcement school for. Uh, uh, OC sprayed for um, 
for skills, yeah, that that sucked a lot worse. Now and talking that sucked of, ten times worse. Now talking, kind of switching gears just a little bit on our on our way down. Um, I know you as someone who, uh, you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna put this in probably the most neutral terms. Uh, you know, person of faith. Your faith means a lot to you. Sure. Um, in you know, in your experiences, how did your how did your faith help you, or you know, assuming it did, or at least just oh, having sure. that, having that, um, you know, having that belief system. How did that help you in the these circumstances? Uh, you, know, you know, and before I say this, I'm gonna put this out there and say that hey, I'm a person who respects all faiths, all denominations, all non-denominations. If you're, whether you're an atheist or Jewish, Muslim, whatever, Buddhist, Christian. I respect you as long as you respect me and I respect your choices as long as you respect mine. So in saying that, um, yeah, it got me through it. It really did. Um, it wasn't even so much as, uh, Hey, I'm imagining this is here and it's here. No, I felt the presence. I felt that spiritual presence hovering over me that whole time going, Mike, you're going to be okay. Like, cause that first day of deployment, I was, they won't say this cause you're taught to be tough, mm-hmm. but there was a lot of anxiety, a lot of fear. I was like, fuck, is this it? Am I going to die on this shithole deployment in the shithole country? Mm-hmm. And, you know, am I going to die? So really to put it in perspective, man, uh, yeah, it definitely got you through it. It was like that was one of the biggest factors that kept me going was, hey, you know, feeling that presence, that presence, feeling that spiritual presence go, hey, the hand I felt feeling the hand on my shoulder, you know, in that figurative spiritual sense, not not something that you're imagining, not something that you're envisioning. It's something you felt. I felt that presence. I felt that presence of God go, dude, you're going to be OK. I got you. Whatever this is, I got you. We're going to get you through it. We're going to get you home. It's going to be OK. So it's kind of the kind of the first earliest reaffirmation that I ever had, like, you believe what you believe and you either, you know, you're taught what you believe in in school. Those experiences will kind of bring you closer to whether or not you believe it or not. And not everybody has that. And that's okay. Um, and I'm not telling you that this is fact because I don't know what the hell happens when we go. Mm-hmm. I can only tell you what my faith is and what I feel. And I can tell you that, yes, absolutely, faith did have a difference. Now, um, and in hopes of like kind of with this positive you know, momentum. Um, what did you think your greatest accomplishments or I guess accomplishment accomplishments, plural, um, through your time there? Like, what do you look back on and being like, this was a really positive thing that I was able to do? Sure. Um, anything I was able to do really, uh, the good for my community, the good with, um, you know, helping my country, building those bonds, uh, having that, being able to go in there with my fellow, uh, you know, men and women and go, hey, we're going through this. We're going to be here together. Uh, you're doing a lot of good in the process. Um, anytime I'm able to. And one thing it gave me an appreciation for that I didn't understand I had was helping my community, helping strangers, helping those who need it. In my civilian personal job right now, which I don't disclose on, on air, um, I help those who need it. You know. I guess maybe I have some empath, um, empathetic personality traits. I guess that brought that out of me is seeing somebody suffering and going, man, I can't, I can't do that. 
I can't let this happen. If I can't, if I, if I have the ability to change this, I will, you know, and that's kind of where that comes in. So definitely developing that side of me and, you know, at the same time, those accomplishments of, you know, rank and medals are fine and dandy. I don't give a shit about those at the end of the day. At the end of the day, it's what did you do to help others? What did you do to make others' lives easier? What did you do to make, to, to, what did you do to improve the planet you're living on? Because we're here every day. You have choices when you're here. You could either make things worse or make things better. I believe in making things better because we're all sharing space. We're all sharing air. Might as well try to fix it, try to improve that. Now, and I probably should have ended with that, but unfortunately, I'm one of those cynical guys. But Take what are your, time. We're on your show. what are your thoughts on our military now after experiencing what you did? Mm, improvements in some ways, lack of improvements in others. I don't think our military is taken care of enough. I don't think we're taken care of financially. I don't think we're taken care of. Uh, physically, I don't think we're taking care of mentally. I don't think we're taking care of emotionally. I think soldiers are criminally underpaid for how hard they work and how much they do. I think the resources are not there nearly as much as they should. They've improved, but they're not there as much as they should. I believe veterans should be given a lot more care. I think that that's one of the biggest jokes in the country, and that's that's as politically neutral as I can. I don't think either side gives a rat's ass because I think they both only care about their own agendas. Uh, that's the most I'm going to say about that. Um, but definitely a believer that, and not only that, but like you look at what, you know, dietary, uh, choices that they're given. Like you're not given good food when you're enlisted, you're freaking eating shit food, processed as shit food instead of good organic, healthy food. You're not being put on that opportunity to like get on that fitness program. And if you're a national guardsman, you have to do it your damn self. Like you're like, Hey, you, you will have to pay for your own gym membership out of pocket. You're going to have to take your own time at it on your own time to do it. So really, um, I believe that our, our men and women can be taken care of a lot, a lot more than they are. Um, you know, they're making, they're making sacrifices, their oath, the oath we swear defending the constitution against all enemies and, you know, putting your life on the line, literally, paying a debt up to your fucking life on the line should entail that in turn, in return, you get that care yourself. You know, I feel that and I'll always feel that soldiers are underpaid. Like if you knew how much an entry level private was making, you'd be like, Jesus Christ. And how much work they have to do. Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, I'm not saying, I'm not saying pay them 10 figure salaries. I'm saying pay them to where they can take care of themselves. And also teach them the fiscal responses. Don't watch them fall on their face. You know, and that goes back to some of the some of my contemporaries who are still there now. Teach this younger generation, like, if I can employ you to do anything, teach them to where they can avoid some of the pitfalls that we weren't able to avoid. Uh, teach them to where you tell them, hey, this is why you don't want to go this path because this is the financial stress it'll bring. This is the personal stress it'll bring. This is the emotional stress it will bring. If you see somebody with a clear mental health issue, fucking reach out to them, man. Don't go, all right, well, this is the life we signed up for. Suck it up and drive on. Bullshit. Get them the help they need. So Now, and this is something that... I will end this on a positive note, I swear. (laughs) 
Dude, I think I'm taking it the negative way. <laughs> nope. Uh, it's it's because I'm leading you there. It's all good. I see us as a war-weary country that seemingly right. can't help ourselves with getting into more armed conflicts, wars. But then I also see that we don't have exit strategies. We don't have clear goals. And I almost think that as a society, we don't truly understand the cost of war. No. How would you respond to a statement that I just made? Is that off base or do you think? No, it's absolutely accurate. We don't understand the cost of war, the billions that are spent and, you know, trillions that are spent actually. And that's money that could otherwise be spent improving some of the problems that we have on the home front. So obviously we have a lot of problems, people in poverty, um, you know, uh, economic problems, uh, problems with inflation that's something that can we're 32 trillion dollars in debt almost at this mm -hmm. point and so my take on that would be yeah we definitely don't need to be we need to just sit our asses down and go hey let's help our people first before we go helping other people which we can do i'm not i'm not saying don't help those in need because i'm actually very much pro helping people in need that's just the type of man i am but i also believe that you know you can't you can't help another person walk if you yourself have broken legs that are you're, you're refusing to heal. Mm -hmm. so. Well, and especially like at least, you know, it it definitely seems that, you know, as soon as we got out of Afghanistan, now it seems like the the drumbeat of, you know, drumbeat of war is going toward, you know, whether it's Ukraine or whether it's further involvement in Syria. And I mean, especially with how Afghanistan went. I mean, Iraq is not... I mean, it's still on like the do not travel list uh, yeah. from the, you know, secretary of state. It's like, right. yeah, don't travel here. Uh, Afghanistan. Um, I mean, even if you were against, you know, prolonging American involvement, we've left billions of dollars and of, you know, military equipment. One hundred billion dollars. And if only if only that was if just a know, crazy amount know, of number, everybody. you know, and it's like a and the Taliban was replaced with the Taliban. Um, it's just one of those things to me that especially, you know, stories like yours where it's, you know, there's there's certainly a cost to war. And mm. especially when it's like, I mean, you're the National Guard literally guarding another nation something like that is is just crazy well, to me well even it it kind of told me that lesson at the end because while you know during the george floyd riots we we were actually understaffed because we had so many people that were deployed at that time so meanwhile now we have a very real uh conflict that's happening in our state right under our noses that became national news you know obviously we were able to to deal with it but still um definitely you know but ending things on a positive note, if that's what you want to do, yes. I can take it in that direction. Yep, yep, yep. So we, we tend to go <laughs> on that rant. Um, you know, the military's also evolved to like, hey, you know, we can also always learn from our mistakes. We're still here. One thing I've learned in life is I'm doing okay now, everybody. i am uh, got a good job. I've got a good family. Um, you know, things always get better. There's always room to get better. You just have to be willing to learn it and to be better. Um, storms are going to come in life. Conflicts are going to come. Endure it. Learn from it. You either win or you learn at the end of the day. Don't accept your position of, I ain't shit. I'm a loser. I'm this, I'm that. Don't accept that as fact ever. You can either find where you're at and try to improve it, or you can sit there and go, nope, I am what I am. You only are what you are because of yourself, not because of anybody else, not because of what they say. If you can't do it, it's because you say you can't do it. 
I was told I wouldn't even make it out of basic training. I did 20 fucking years in successfully. I might add and with, with honor and with that retirement pension, I was told I wouldn't graduate fucking high school. I got two degrees under my belt. I was told I'd never obtain a career. Well, I'm a career man now with a second pension on the way. So really, and not only that, but I'm continuing to do great things. My story's not even over. My story's just beginning. I couldn't, I couldn't end on a better note. Um, <laughs> but in order for, uh, just wanted to make sure that I plug this. Uh, he, uh, Mr. Jonathan Fury, also has a podcast of his very own. Um, he's living the dream in terms of, uh, you know, sports right. discussion, nerdy discussion. It's actually called the Sports Nerd Podcast. This is where I come in. This is where I come in. Yes, and uh, and it is something that I've had the I've had the pleasure of uh, distinction. Yeah, of uh, going on, and uh, I'll let him tell you a little bit about it. All right. So now, those of you who don't know me, uh, you know now, you know who I am now. The military, the retired soldier. We got to we got to explore that part of me. We didn't explore the rest. We only touched on the rest. I wear a whole bunch of different hats, but I am a retired professional wrestler, semi-retired. I'm obviously a husband and father, and now I am a podcaster. I have one podcast that is active. We just recorded recently with uh, Nathan Newman, uh, former referee and video editor, awesome guest of mine. Uh, I've had the I've had my co-host for the day here, <laughs> who's graciously hosted me on his podcast. I've had him on my podcast many times. Some of the most entertaining conversations I've ever had. Uh, it's a bit of a different departure than what oof, this is. That's for dude, sure. I couldn't. I, oh, <laughs> man, there are times where I can't even keep a straight face when, when I'm working. <laughs> uh, but no, we talk. I'm a lifelong pro wrestling fan, a lifelong sports fan as well, lifelong combat sports fan, be it boxing, mixed martial arts, uh, UFC. Um, and, you know, we talk all things pro wrestling. We have a lot of not just we talk about modern things happening in the pro wrestling world, but we also talk about classic pro wrestling moments, classic matches, classic promos, classic uh, storylines. We talk we have a whole umbrella of things we talk about sports wise. We can talk about sports dynasties. I've had uh, Mr. John Harrington on my podcast, another fellow veteran. And we talked about the dream team, arguably the greatest team ever assembled. That was a fun podcast. Uh, the name of this podcast is called Jonathan Fury presents the sports nerd podcast. It's hey, a bunch of sports nerds geeking out about what we love sports, pro wrestling, MMA, you name it. Now the second podcast that I have in pre-production it's called Jonathan Fury Presents Horror Movie Horror Nerds Unite. We're talking all things horror movies, all things paranormal, all things ghosts and hauntings. Uh, the emphasis is going to be really on on those scary movies. So we're talking horror movie reviews, modern horror movie reviews, classic reviews. Um, what what decade versus what decade is better? What franchise versus what franchise is better? We got a whole lot to play with. So with that whole umbrella leads to a really fun, unique and different podcast than what you're used to. And those podcasts are all in a positive light. Uh, that's one thing that I really want to emphasize is when we talk pro wrestling sports, but pro wrestling, especially it can be a very toxic discussion sometimes because it's a very toxic community that we're in. Mm -hmm. We're always armchair quarterback and going, this guy sucks. This guy could be better instead of going fuck we what we enjoyed what we love why we love this why are we spending our free time as grown men watching other grown men simulate a fight it's because when done right it's fucking awesome and you know we're going to put it over we're going to say this is what we love about it and we also know having been in that world the physical toll it takes the mental toll it takes the emotional toll it takes you know you could say pro wrestling's fake all day but you get in there and take that bump that bump's not so fake once you realize oh shit 
That mat's not a trampoline. That mat's not a mattress. That mat's a fucking mat. Yeah, and it hurts if you hit it. <laughs> it's exactly. gravity, man. You hit it right, and you're still like, I did that bump right, and I'm still going to be feeling it for a day. Well, and the so, Jonathan Fury Presents the Sports Nerd podcast is can be found wherever good podcasts are, are downloaded. Yeah, so we can be found on Amazon Podcasts, on Spotify, on Google Podcasts, on Apple Podcasts, on CastBox. Anywhere where podcasts are, we stream. We can be found on any major podcasting platform. I encourage you to give it a shot. Give it a look. Give it a follow. That's what we're looking for. More followers. We will continue to have content. New content will be produced weekly. Weekly pro- weekly produced content. Entertaining po- content. Follow me on Facebook. Jonathan Fury presents the Sports Nerd. Uh, on Instagram, Jonathan Fury, the Sports Nerd. Uh, on Twitter, John Fury 4283 So I don't... I try to figure out the, all the Twitter handles and shit. Uh, I'm old, man. <laughs> but no, you give and me this both. podcast a follow. I encourage you to. It's a great time. It's a great listen. It's an easy listen. And it's a whole fun. Co- it's a lot of fun conversations that are are being had, that are going to be had, and that have been had. Give it a like. Give it a follow. Jonathan Fury presents the Sports Nerd Podcast. And I can't recommend it enough. And Mr. Fury, it has been a pleasure to have you on the podcast. And it's one of those things that, you know, you don't tell people that you love them enough. I love you, man. And it's love you too, brother. It's been it's been a pleasure. And who knows? Maybe we'll do another one of these sometime. Hey, with pleasure. I've always obviously, you know, I had a great time doing this. It was fun fun to sit on the other side of the side of the chair. And um, thanks for having me on, man. It, it was an honor and a privilege. And uh, big sh- anyone listening to this, big shout out to y'all. Nothing but love for y'all. Um, any fellow military veterans that are listening that I might have served with, um, thank you. It was a pleasure. It was an honor. It was a privilege. Uh, thank you for, you know, the time, obviously 20 plus years and counting of, of a friendship still going strong after all these years. And, you know, here's to 20 we got more. more. <laughs> we got more in us. We got a lot more in us, brother. All right. Take care, man. All Love right. you. Love you too, bro. Hi, everyone. Thank you for listening to Historical Diversions History Over Drinks. If you enjoyed this episode, your feedback would be greatly appreciated. Five-star reviews, positive comments, and even just telling your friends about us helps. We're on social media, Twitter, Facebook, etc. But the mothership is historicaldiversions.com. You can find show notes, ways to support, and other fun info on there. Thanks again for listening. This podcast was written and produced by your host through Historical Diversions, LLC. Any other rights belong to their respective owners.